everybody, or as we say in the South, sup y'all. Hope you guys have been having a good week, a good day, and uh, look forward to seeing many of you tonight when we get together to worship and spend spend some time in prayer. Uh, Again, this morning is not a church service. This is me unpacking the Bible, taking apart some some of the Word here, and unplugging uh, or plugging us into it in order to think about it, to pray over it. Then, yeah, tonight we'll come together and talk about it. So if you're in the East Valley, we'd love for you to come hang out with us. Uh, We meet in our home. It's super casual. There's nothing weird or crazy, promise. Uh, Anybody's welcome. I don't care if you're in uh, New York or San Diego. You can come if you want. But uh, particularly if you're in the East Valley, the Tempe area is where we are. So we would love for you to come be part of what we're doing. Basically, we'll come together tonight. We'll jump in. We'll read the word. We'll pray together over some very specific things that we're praying for. And then, uh, yeah, talk about this text a while and encourage each other and learn from each other as we, we wrestle through the word. And there's also food. So that's a win. But, uh, yeah, you can find us online, go to social media, uh, email, whatever. Just send us a contact, and we will uh, tell you how to find us. So, But we are in Colossians. I'm super pumped about this particular passage because, uh, honestly, it's been wrecking me all week long. So I'm going to share it with you and let it wreck you as well. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, in particular, there's a, there's a verse in here that's just it's so weighty, and uh, we'll come to it. But if you got a Bible, jump to Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to read it first. Keep in mind, uh, Colossians 3.3 3 has been our theme. We actually unpacked it last week, but it's still the theme of this idea of knowing who you are. It's still the theme, and it says, For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's key. That's, that's who you are. So we'll continue to reflect on that now, even though we've passed it. If you want to hear it unpacked, go back to last week and watch that video. Uh, but... Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 is where we are this week. He says, Paul says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Great text. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this word and what is kind of... What you've placed on my heart in contemplating it and thinking through it. But Lord, again, as I always pray, I'm a student here to learn from you and from your word. I don't ever want my word to stand above yours because it's not above yours. I'm here to learn from you, to grow from you, that your word would change my life as I begin to try to share it with others. I pray for everyone that might hear it, that it would change theirs and that your word would be uh, on their lips. It would be in their language, in their talk. And definitely in their walk. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, drop my glasses. So, imagine that you go into the bank with your paycheck. And you hand it to the teller. And you realize that there's no signature on the paycheck. What's that piece of paper worth? What's the bank going to say it's worth when you hand them that? I don't care how many zeros are on it. 
I don't care where the decimal point is. What's it worth to the bank? Another idea, think about the Declaration of Independence, the American Declaration of Independence. What if there were no signatures on it? Do you think that Great Britain would have paid any attention to it at all? Would it have inspired any form of rebellion? Would anybody have gotten behind this document if nobody had put their name on it? What did it cost if you did have your name on it? What did that imply? Uh, I know in the case of, at least in the Irish case of the Declaration of Independence, y'all know I'm an Irish history freak, I know. But in their case, uh, every name that signed that document faced the potential of death, and for most of them, that's exactly what happened. Um, what if someone forged your name on one of those documents? What if that kind of document did you didn't actually sign it, but they put your name somebody put your name on it? Would people believe that your name belonged there, or would they go, "There's no way she signed that"? Or would they look at it and go, yeah, yeah, that would definitely be her. I'm sure that was her. That's the kind of thing she would sign. Um, would there be any reason for somebody to believe that you actually signed these things? And that's kind of where we're going today. Paul says that Christ is in us. He's been saying that. We've already talked about that. That's the theme of the whole thing here, that Christ is in you. He's already gotten to that. And now he's going on to say that whatever we do, we should do it in the name of Jesus. Basically saying we will sign, we should sign his name to what we do. All right? And, and if he is who we claim is within us, if we say he's within us, this should be obvious to people. But is it? That's the question. What should it cost us to have his name signed on our lives? Should that cost something? And what should it cost if he signs our name? Should anybody be surprised that his name is signed to what we do? Think about that one now. Should anybody be surprised to see his name signed to how we live our lives? Um, so today we're going to consider what it means to sign Jesus' name to your life. For us, in light of knowing who Christ is and that he is in us and that we're in him, then we need to represent Christ in how we live. It's a pretty simple truth, all right? With each other and in front of the world. And when I say each other, I mean as believers, how we live as believers and in front of the world. And we're, that's important because we want people to see Christ in us and to be drawn to him because of that. So Paul notes three you know, adjustments here for the lifestyle of the believers, and we'll pick these three apart. Uh, the way I have it kind of outlined, first, living proactive living reactive, and then representing Christ in all actions, okay? Um, think about this question as we go into this. Could Christ's name be signed to your life? Could Christ's name be signed to your life? Or are you just forging his signature where you need it? Think about that one. That's the one that's been wrecking me. Could Christ's name be signed to your life, your whole life, or are you just forging his signature where you need it? So let's get in here beginning with living proactive, first of all. Verse 12, he says, put on then, that's a call to action, do something. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. Meekness is gentleness and patience. He says then here, put on then. That's suggesting that what we're doing, putting something on, is because of something he's already said. Basically, our identity, what he's already being talked about. Because of our identity, then we should put on these things. And he even clarifies that because he recognizes our identity again with three more descriptive words. We are chosen, we're holy, 
We're beloved. That's epic, man. That's, that's a current condition. That's not past and that's not some future thing we're hoping for. That's who you are now. You are chosen by God. You are holy. You are beloved. Beloved by God. Think about that right now. If you're in Christ, you are beloved by God, cherished, loved deeply by God right now. Um, chosen, I know it's there. You know what? It's there. Uh, I'm not going to go deep in it, not jumping in there. I will be happy to, but not, I'm not doing it with me and my camera here. <laughs> uh, but the word's there, and it means what it means, okay? It means what it means. And if you think it doesn't mean what it means, then what do you suppose it means? You can't just ignore it. If you think it doesn't mean what it means, then what do you suppose it means? And then why do you mean it must feel something, it must mean something other than it does mean? You know, I know that's kind of scattered language, but but I'm being serious, you know? For me, this is a huge thing because I know apart from God loving me and choosing me, I had no chance. I was so lost in sin. He had to choose me, find me. I had no hope. And, and only because he chose me while I was a sinner, only because of that, and only because of his sacrifice alone making me holy and righteous before God, it's only because of that that I can truly know that my salvation is secure. He really did it all. So it's a beautiful thing. But Paul says we are to put on these things, this list of things, it's so the same language as like put on the whole armor of God, right? If you know that verse. It's symbolizing clothing. Your clothes say something about who you are. I realize I'm wearing FSU right now. You know what? <laughs> that'll tell you a little bit about who I am. If you're Matthew Curry in Florida, that'll tell you you love me. We're brothers automatically. <laughs> if you're Alex Hernandez, uh, my good buddy who's back in Tennessee right now, he would tell you as a Miami fan that we, we can be friends, but we're not that close. Not kidding. I'm just kidding. We love each other. But you get what I'm saying. Your clothes say something about you. They they tell you what your taste. Tell people what your tastes are, what your likes are. Um, your whether you're modest, whether you're immodest. I mean, I'm just saying. It tells you whether you're a bold type person or a bland type person. Compare the clothes of the '70s with all the brown and whites and stuff with the clothes of the '80s with purple leopard print and you know yellow tiger stripe and whatever else. Um, <laughs> They also say something about what you're preparing for. Military uniforms, for instance. Football pads. Uh, scrubs. Medical scrubs. Suit of armor. Uh, a suit of armor. Well, that could too. But a suit and tie, I mean. Suit and tie or bathing suit. They don't change who you are. That's already there. That's who you, They don't change who you are, but they reflect who you are and what you may be preparing to engage in. That's what they do. Think about it this way. What you put on is what people will see. What you put on is what people will see. So why does it matter? Why is Paul making a big deal about this? Well, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. I think Paul probably had that in mind when he wrote 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising or dressing themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants, Satan's servants, also disguise or dress themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond with their deeds. 
Paul is saying, for that very reason, we need to put on what reflects a true relationship with Christ. We need to be wearing our faith in a way that truly represents our identity in Christ is legit, the real thing. And his signature on our lives can't be seen as a forgery. It has to be the real deal. It has to be authentic. And he explains kind of what those clothing, that clothing looks like. Compassionate, kindness, humility, meekness, which again, gentleness, patience. Think about those words. They're all so broad. Like what does kindness mean? That's just such a broad term if you think about it. Would any of those describe you? In, in the whole broad sense, would you just broadly be described as kind? Wow, man, she is so kind-hearted. Or how about, he is so compassionate. Typically not a word we associate with men. Some men see that as a weakness to be called compassionate. Do these words describe Jesus' life? Hold on, listen. Do these words describe Jesus' life? Think about it a minute. All of those words. Could you describe Jesus' life in all of those words? Of course you can. So notice there's no and or statement here. There's no and or. All of these should be seen in your actions. All of them should be what you're putting on, and they all should reflect what's in your heart. Think of how many terrible things have been done in the name of Christ. Uh, just, just, I mean, I could get, go down through history and come up with a list from the Crusades to Charles Manson, who claimed to be Jesus at one point. I mean, there's just, there, there's so many things that have been done in Jesus' name by people who really don't know him at all. But the rough one, is when it is people that do know him, that are doing things terrible in Jesus' name, such as, for instance, the way that uh, they may approach sinners with super judgmental disgust and things like that. It's not the way Jesus did it. Is the true Jesus the one that people see when they look at you? Is the true Jesus the one? We're believers. He's within us. But are we wearing him? In order that other people may see him, and I mean truly see him, see who he really is. Verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord, look, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Must, must, must command. And he says, as so must. All right, heavy words. If Paul knows, listen to this a minute. If Paul knows that these are believers that Christ is in their heart, why is it necessary to tell them to do this? Why is it necessary to use the word, you must do this? If Christ is in their heart, why? How sad is it that we, as family, rather than bearing each other's burdens, rather than bearing with each other, we complain against each other. We bite at each other. Instead of bearing your struggles with you, and especially when it comes to the sins that you deal with, instead of bearing with that, I hold a grudge against you. I hold, I bear animosity instead of forgiveness. Especially if you did it to me. I mean, how sad is that? To what extent are we supposed to forgive, right? To what extent did Christ forgive us? Man, that's a hard measure. When we say, well, like how, how many times we got to deal with this? How much, how long am I going to put up with this? It wasn't sincere the last time. Is it sincere this time? How many times do we have to forgive? To what extent did Christ forgive you? 
And I love that Peter actually asked this question in Matthew eighteen twenty one. Peter came up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I keep on forgiving him? As many as seven times. In other words, if he comes and he says, yo, dude, I'm sorry, Peter, and he turns around and does it again. Yo, I'm sorry, Peter, and he does it again. Yo, I'm sorry, Peter, and he does it again. I mean, three three times, four times, five times, seven times. Peter's like, after that, we've hit the max, right, God, right, Jesus? Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Basically saying as many times as is necessary to extend forgiveness. You will always extend for you. You know how I know that to be true? Because Jesus does it. Think of how many times Jesus forgives you. I'm blown by this because I don't know about y'all, but I'm on my knees every day at some point, certainly in the evening before bed, and I'm recounting my day, and I'm like, Jesus, Lord, create me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. What did I, why did I do that again? Why did I think that again? Forgive me. Every day, you guys, every day. So how many times has Jesus forgiven me? I know that my sin was settled at the cross. I know I belong to him or we wouldn't even be having this discussion. I'm just saying that my continued need for his forgiveness, that's what he's saying that we're supposed, that's the as he's forgiven us, so we must forgive each other. That's heavy stuff, right? Tony Evans said to refuse to forgive is in fact to burn a bridge over which you must cross. Think about that. To refuse to forgive is in fact to burn a bridge over which you must cross. Jesus used the phrase, he who has been forgiven much forgives much. Something not a direct quote, but basically what he said, he who has been forgiven much forgives much. A way to think about that is for me, like easy for me to forgive others when I think of how much Christ has forgiven me for. It's easy for me to forgive others if I continue to think of how much he's forgiven me for. Look at verse 14. Above all these, put on, again, same call to action, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Uh, love being there. He's saying you have to put that on. It's not just, you, you have to engage, you have to wear love where people can see it. You have to put it on. It's like a, the language here is a belt that it holds everything together. Everything clips into it. It cinches it all together. He says, above all else, what a huge position to put something in. Above anything else, this is number one. Anything else you could list, this is number one. Jesus said, Matthew 22, verse 37, when asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. He pulls this from Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, verse 40. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What a statement. Every prophet from Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Zechariah, Haggai, Malachi, we can go all down. All of them hinge on that statement. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbors. All of it hinges on that. All of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of it hinges on, all 613, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. Jesus said, love your neighbor. That's anybody, right? That's anyone. But he also goes on later to say, love your enemies. That's everyone. I mean, there's nobody excluded if you're talking about loving your enemies. But here, Paul in Colossians is speaking about believers, okay? Jesus said that our love for each other as believers is how the world would see him. So the way we wear that love for each other as believers is what the world will see Christ through. 
For instance, John 13, 35, Jesus said to his disciples, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The way you guys love each other is how they're going to know you're one of my disciples. That will draw them to him. Also note here that the key to unity, he says perfect harmony there. It's not equality. I mean, I'm not hating, I'm just saying. It's not government. I'm hating, just saying. It's not reform. It's not redesign. It's not marches or parades or any of that stuff. It's not any of that. The key to perfect harmony is love. Can love really create unity or equality? And I'm talking about a biblical definition of love. God is love. I'm talking about a biblical definition. Can, can it really create equality? Well, how? Well, you're familiar with this passage, probably whether you know the Bible or not, if you've been to a wedding. But listen to it in light of what uh, we've been talking about. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It doesn't rejoice with, or excuse me, it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Living proactive. Now he moves to living reactive. Look at verse 15. And let or allow the peace of Christ, again called action, to rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. He's given us two put on statements, two proactive statements, put on. Now he's going to give us two uh, reactive statements, let or allow. Allow here, first of all, peace to rule. Two observations real quick. If you have to allow it to rule, two questions, two observations, I mean, peace wants to rule, and second of all, we resist it. I mean, otherwise he wouldn't have to say this, right? What do you think the peace of Christ looks like? Take a minute and think about that. What does the peace of Christ look like? Context here is in the unity of the body. In other words, peace with each other as believers, okay? Obviously, you can't expect unbelievers to be at peace with you as a believer in general or the world. Why? Because if for no other reason, Jesus said that's the way it was going to be, that you would be a division, that he would be a division in that sense. But we should be at peace or at least have it inside because Christ did. Remember Christ said, take heart, I've overcome the world, be at peace. Um Paul notes here to be thankful. There's the, the term thankfulness in this. And, and when we understand who we are or who we were, excuse me, and who we are now, when we think about who we were and who we are now, it should lead us to thanksgiving for real, right? And if we stay there in a state of thanksgiving, then we're naturally going to live out these things that we're talking about. It's naturally going to happen. And that peace of Christ is going to sit on us. Um, Maybe you feel like there is no peace in your life whatsoever. Maybe the world around you is driving you crazy with fears and concerns and worries, anything but peace. Maybe it's believers, other believers that are sowing into you different things that are creating a sense of anything, again, but peace. Um, does it mean you're in sin that you can't grasp or get hold of that peace? I mean, what are you supposed to do? Well, glad you asked. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ, again, repeated call to action, let the word of Christ dwell 
or feel at home in you richly. That means extravagantly, over the top. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns, spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Letting Christ's word dwell in us is the path to seeing his peace rule in our hearts. Okay, Letting his word dwell or rest or feel at home in us is the path towards seeing his peace rule in our hearts. In other words, we're eating, reading the Bible, memorizing his word, um, Believing Jesus' words will bring a peace. That Those things will bring a peace that rules our hearts when everything else around us is chaos. Even when that chaos is caused by his believers. His word is where that foundation comes from, alright? But, now, if you want to know, okay, great, Dave, what's the verse? Like, what, what are the verses I need to have for when this happens? Or what's the verses when I need to have for when that happens? Or this or what? You're missing the point. You're missing the point. Uh, it's not about a particular verse like it's some kind of magic spell that when I'm struggling here, I can whip out that verse and suddenly the struggle's over. I'm just being honest. That doesn't work that way. That's not what he's doing. Either way, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about dwelling in the word so that the word is dwelling in you. It's about dwelling in the word and it, the word, dwelling inside of you. That peace is the byproduct of that lifestyle. It's not a periodic prescription you write when you got a problem. The peace is a byproduct of dwelling in his word and his word dwelling in you. Just like back in verse 15, two observations here. Again, because of the language, let or allow it to, the word wants to dwell in you, if you're a believer. And we resist it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have to say that. This is not just about knowing his word. It's about allowing it to live in us. Even better, allowing it to change the way we live. That's what he's talking about. Spurgeon wrote this. He said, remember that Christ himself is the word of God. And also remember that the scriptures are the word of the word. They are the word of Christ. I think they will be all the sweeter to us if we recognize that they speak to us of Christ. That he is the sum and substance of them. That they direct us to Christ. That sweetness Spurgeon is talking about. He's speaking to your heart. And that's the whole point. That's what Paul's talking about. It should lead to what Paul mentioned next. Which is song. It should lead to our hearts being moved to to song. All types. He he, he lists three here. But it's implying just music in general. The various different types of music. I don't think he's trying to get to definitive list of unique things here. Because if so, then what's our music? Which one, of, which one of these three songs, hymns, spiritual songs, which one of those is our modern worship fit in? It's just a dangerous path. There's no need for it. He's just talking about worship through the song. Um, and if you're identifying spiritual songs as something supernatural, which some do, or something uniquely spirit-led or whatever, as some do, then how are the psalms any different? You're telling me that they're not spirit-led or they're not supernatural? Is that what you're saying? Are you saying they're, they're not equal to or above that? That somehow the spiritual songs are above the Psalms? The Psalms are a book of the Bible, for crying out loud. All right? And either way, if you start making those distinctions, then what are hymns? It's just it's an unnecessary road. But anyway, the, regardless of where you go with all that, look what the purpose of the Psalms songs, hymns, and spiritual songs was. Look what the purpose. 
that they were for teaching and admonishing in all wisdom. Coming from living yielded to Jesus' word or teaching. It's, it's intellectual music. It's not, yeah, I did it. It's not like, it's not like that. It's not like just a bunch of sounds and moans that are supposed to move us to worship. It's supposed to engage you. It's also, it's not empty emotions, but it's also deep teaching that, listen, confronts sin. You see what he says? Admonishing, that's what that is in, in a sense. Confronting sin. Put into song. When's the last time you heard modern worship song confront sin? Just saying. Our study of God's word, though, should lead us to sing. It should put us there. Not because we're good singers, because believe me, that ain't me. Um, but it engages something in our hearts that wants to respond emotionally in song. It doesn't mean we have to do it with a band. It doesn't mean we have to do it corporately. It doesn't mean uh, that, you know, we, we have to make a stage for ourselves. You can do it in your car with the windows up. Just make sure you're... Pause if you get at a red light so you don't look crazy, you know. <laughs> I don't know, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, it becomes an emotional response to his word in our lives, right? And it's powerful when those things are shared together. Let me give you an example. Acts chapter 16, verse 23. Uh, these leaders, they throw Paul and Silas into prison in verse 23, ordering the jailer to keep them safely, verse 24. Having received this order, he put them into the prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Note, this is not the Psalms that are in the Bible or the spiritual songs. It's the hymns if we want to be specific about dividing them, but we need not do that. Um, They're singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prisoners, the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, Then he brought them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's the miracle of the hymn and the worship there, by the way. Not the floor shaking, not the doors opening, not the earthquake, because if that was the miracle, they would have left. They didn't. The miracle is that as a result of their singing and worship around God's word, as a result of that, a man said, what must I do to be saved? That is putting it on. That is letting it rule. Um, I love the way Warren Wiersbe said, "If off, uh, he says, I often use a hymnal in my personal devotional time to express my praise to God. As a believer grows in his knowledge of the word, he will want to grow in his expression of praise. He'll learn to appreciate the great hymns of the church, the gospel songs, and the spiritual songs that teach spiritual truth. Again, Paul stamps all that with thankfulness. It's right there again in the same sentence, thankfulness. Lastly, and this one's super quick, uh, living proactive, living reactive, and then representing Christ in all our actions. Verse 17 is a monster, and it has been wrecking me for days. And whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, what did you say or what you do, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When we say that statement, in the name of Jesus, I pray, 
That's the same kind of, that's where this idea comes from. It means to sign Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, means to sign Jesus' name on it. Whatever you do, sign Jesus' name authorizing it. Whatever you say, whatever you say, guys, sign Jesus' name authorizing it. What did you watch last night? Jesus authorized me to watch this. Jesus, Jesus watched this with me. What did you say yesterday morning when you were at the grocery store? Jesus said, Jesus said, say that. This is your believer. If you're not a believer, it's a different story. If you're a believer here, whatever you say or do, whatever you say or do, sign Jesus' name to it. Man. And then, basically meaning Jesus authorized this. He signed on the line for me to do this. He signed for me to do this. And then he takes it a step further and he says, give thanks again, but in this case to God. So whatever you say or do, make sure that you can sign Jesus' name to it. And then thank his father for giving you the opportunity to sign his name to it. My goodness, accountability. I'm signing Jesus' name to what I'm about to do or say or what I did do and say. I'm signing his name as authorizing it and then I'm thanking God the Father for his son's permission to do that and his son signing off on it. Everything you do. Everything you say. Man. And today we was talking about this with Coach Lauer and he made this great point that one of the beauties of that too though in a very positive way is that we have that relationship with Jesus to be able to approach the Father like that. And that's a great truth. There's a beautiful side to that, that I can thank God that Jesus will sign off on things I say and do. I want to make sure that what I put on reflects that. But maybe you're hurting today. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you are really struggling with this peace thing. Maybe you've been betrayed by somebody uh, that was supposed to be a Christian, and that's wrecked you on the whole Christian thing. Maybe they were a Christian, which is even worse, and they've wrecked you in some way. Uh, you know what? None of us are perfect. That's the beauty of the gospel, that Christ finds us in our sin. He finds us in our weakness. He finds us in our brokenness. He finds us when we're selfish, when we're greedy. He finds us when we're angry or when we're defeated. He finds us when we're depressed or when we're hopeless. He finds us. He gives us new life. And I'm sorry if you've been hurt by a Christian, especially someone who should look like Christ. That is not Christ. They're not wearing the appropriate picture if they're truly a believer. And I'm sorry for that. Um, but the fact that Christ uses the fallen should give you hope. That he uses fallen people. He uses fallen people. I am a great case in point there. And you're never too broken to be saved by Christ. You're never too broken to be forgiven by Christ. And even better than to be used by him. That your life might matter and have great value and importance in this world. As you call him Lord, give your life to to him today. Call him Lord. And then put on him in such a way that people see these things in you. Most importantly, love. All right? Call him Lord. I don't care how you do it. Surrender. Take a knee. God, no longer I but you. I am a sinner and I know it. I'm tired of it. Take it from me. Forgive me. Live within me. I want Christ in me. I want to be in you. I want your word in me. 
and then find a solid church. Come here if you want. We would love for you to. And get with people that will help you grow deeper in knowing what it means to have the word dwell in you richly. All right? If you're already in the family, you're part of the church, ask yourself if your lifestyle displays that. Are you wearing him? Look at the things Paul lists there. Is that you? All of them. Is that you? If not, consider for a minute, you know, the things that are already trying to lead you. Are they are the things that are already leading you? Are they the peace of God? Or is it the word of God dwelling in you? Is that what's leading you? If it's not, then that needs to be, and you need to yield to them and let them lead. Let those things lead. Adopt a heart of thanksgiving. That's the easiest way to step into it. Lord, I am thankful for. Lord, I am thankful for. Lord, I am thankful for. The more you do that, it puts you in a posture to where you can place uh, Jesus' signature on more of what you do. All right, let me pray for you. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the privilege of being in your word and being with brothers and sisters. Short and to the point, God, I pray that your word dwells in us richly so that people see who you are through us. God, we love you, and we ask these things in Christ's name for your glory. Amen.